Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to this very special edition of Atlanta Business Radio. It's time for Tuesdays with Corey, brought to you by our good friends at the Long-Term Care Planning Group. Now, here's your host, Corey Rick. Thank you very much, Stone. Today, we have a great, great guest on today's show, Tuesdays with Corey. Onita Castillo comes to us as a much sought-after golf coach, golf consultant, and motivational speaker. She serves as a global education instructor for the LPGA and director of golf for the Women in Golf Foundation. She's a Class A teaching professional and is a member of the African American Golfers Hall of Fame. It's my great pleasure to have Anita Castillo on today's show. Anita, welcome. Good morning, Corey. Thanks for having me. Anita, you have a great story. Tell the listenership about how you got started in golf and how you got to this point and, and uh, how you got so accomplished. I hope we have enough time. Because this is, this is one of my favorite questions that you asked, how I got started in golf. My husband is a wonderful family man, Ronald. And, of course, I call him Ron. But anyway, he went out with some buddies to play golf. And you know how guys are. They're, come on, man, let's go. So they uh, gave him some shoes to wear, gave him some clubs to use. The clubs, the shoes, he said, were two sizes too small, but he wasn't going to complain. He just went out and played. He had such a good time that the very next day he said to me, I want to go to the driving range and hit some golf balls. And my uh, daughter, Bianca, was maybe three months old. And he said to me, it was a beautiful day in May. I'll never forget it. And he said to me, why don't you bring the baby and you guys can get some fresh air. Come along with me. So... Of course, you know, get out of the house with a new baby on a sunny, beautiful 70 degree day. Yeah, sounds like a good plan. I wrapped the baby up and we went and I was sitting on the bench watching him hit golf balls. And he knows I was an athlete my whole life, right? Always played sports growing up with the two brothers. And he had maybe five or six golf balls left at the bottom of that bucket. And he turned and he looked at me and he said, hey, you want to hit some of these? I'll hold the baby. Why don't you give it a try? And that sentence right there, I call it a defining moment in my life. There was Onita before golf. And after that sentence, it was Onita with golf. And my life changed. I got up, swung that golf club. And of those, you know, five or six golf balls, whatever, I probably hit two of them that seemed really good and felt really good. And that was the beginning. Before the week was over, I had us signed up for golf lessons. He had gone to the local golf store and bought him, me, and our son, Ronnie, Ron Jr., uh, sets of golf clubs. And off we went into our golf journey. And because the guys were busy with their own hobbies, my son played uh Little League Baseball, my husband's a fisherman's uh, hunter kind of guy. Golf was my thing more so. And I just became engulfed in it. Mm. You know, I had no problems getting a babysitter because mom and sissy were so happy we had this new baby. So I had babysitters and I just ran off and pursued golf to the nth degree because it was my way of being able to go outside and play again. What year was that, Anita? Well, it's easy to remember because my daughter was born in 1983, so there you go. 
36 short years ago. <laughs> and it seems short, Corey, because I have been so busy with it and yeah. growing my, at first it was me growing my game. Yeah. And as I played and raising my children and I realized the great benefits of golf as I was going along and the kids were growing up in it, I saw the great benefits of it. Yeah. And once I became proficient at it, I was that mom that was out there helping with the junior clinics. And then I began to realize how wonderful it was to be able to share the game. And that's what I've been doing really ever since. You mentioned that you, um, you're in excellent shape and it, it, it's obvious to me that you were, you've been an athlete who sort of turned into a golfer. What other sports did you play before you took up golf? Well, as an inner city kid, you know, we went outside and we played all day. We didn't have Nintendo, Nintendo, did I say that right? An Xbox. So we went outside and we played and I played everything the boys played. Uh, girls that I knew were over, you know, playing dress up and playing with baby dolls. And I didn't have, you know, that wasn't my thing. So I was out there playing baseball, basketball, football, whatever the boys were doing. Mm. Typically, that's what I was doing. So I was your classic tomboy. And having brothers, one older, one younger, of course, we just all went together. So you were the middle kid. I'm the middle kid. I'm the yeah. middle kid. <laughs> yes. I think that explains a, a good bit. Um, uh, but that that's a... How did you, so you hit some balls, you know, when you and Ron went out the first time. Yes. And what were your thoughts when you picked up the club before you hit your first one? To be honest, I kind of was, uh, this seems like a stupid, boring game. <laughs> but I was sitting on that bench and I remember how perfect the day was yeah. and how wonderful it was to be outside. And I was thanking God for my little daughter. Yeah. And I was in a good place. And when he handed me that, being in that good place and loving to be outside and play, yeah. I was able to <clears throat> strike that ball. And I saw it just, you know, flying up against that blue sky. It was a euphoric type feeling. And if anyone, if you've ever hit a golf ball with a driver and, and it comes off that club face hitting that sweet spot, it's a wonderful feeling and you just want to do it again Yeah, and be outside and enjoy mother nature. And I'm that person. I love God's gifts and outdoors. You can see it, smell it, feel it. Yeah. There is something about that. Uh, so you have two kids. Yes. Bianca and Ron, do they play? They, of course they played growing up. Bianca doesn't play anymore, but her kids do. They play with me, of course. And my son, Ronald, is in the industry. He is the program director for the First Tee of North Florida. Oh. Yes. Another great program. So you have uh, – uh, your journey with the LPGA has been a fascinating one. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Well, once I've decided to become a teacher, remember I said when I was that parent that was there at the junior programs just helping out. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed doing it. I got compliments from the professionals that were running the programs. You're a good teacher. You know, I'm, I'm hearing yeah. this, but okay. When my husband, who worked for Ford Motor Company at the time, mm -hmm. uh, he was in management there. We were transferred here to Atlanta because they felt like that facility needed some help. And that's when I decided that I was going to pursue golf as a career. Mm. And uh, I got involved with the teaching aspect of it. I volunteered 
for every teaching aspect that I could. Uh, my first real job here was managing golf stores at Hartsfield International Airport. I did that. And then... How was that experience? Well, that was interesting because it was another side of it. It was the retail side, the business side, and I liked it, but that what didn't really fill the bill for me, if you will. Sure. And at that place, uh, my journey here in Atlanta was defined because I met a gentleman named Lou Horn. And Lou was an attorney. He's deceased now. But he put me in contact with LaJean Gould. He and I chatted in the airport and, you know, kind of got to know each other. And he said, there's a lady you need to meet. And LaJean had founded the Women in Golf Foundation, and she had just gotten it going, and the Collegiate Classic was getting started. And I took my little daughter. At that time, Maya was probably 11, 10 or 11, and we went to watch the collegiate athletes play. And we enjoyed being there. I met LaJean, and she and I literally have been partners in the crime of growing golf amongst women and youth in Atlanta ever since. You mentioned something that you have going on at the end of this month. Yes. That golf tournament. Mm -hmm. Tell us, tell the listenership about that and its genesis. And uh, you've obviously been heavily involved in making that a success, but tell us more about that. Yes. The name of the tournament is the Women's Collegiate Championship. This is our 25th year hosting it here in Atlanta. We have the women that Uh, golf teams from the historically black colleges and universities, the HBCUs, they come here and they play their national championship. And this year, of course, is our 25th silver anniversary. It will be contested at Callaway Gardens on April 26th, 27th, and 28th. The 26th is the Pro-Am version of that tournament where we do professional development for the ladies. We have people from the corporate community come in in the morning and they do workshops with the young uh, athletes. Our subject this year is, are you ready? We want them to be ready. And we are really adamant about helping them to build their networks while they're still in the college uh, arena so that when they get out, they step out into corporate America and they have a network already going for them. After the professional development segment, then the corporate people bring their team of golfers and they're able to play with a collegiate athlete who is their pro. So another opportunity for people to get to know each other and those young ladies to help build that network. And then the the second two days on Saturday and Sunday is actually their national championship. Renee Powell, who is only the second African-American female tour professional is coming in this year. We give away her trophy, mm. but this year she's coming in. She hasn't, she's not able to come every year. Obviously she's busy, but uh, special for the 25th anniversary, she will be here uh, to greet the athletes and congratulate the winning team. What a great thing there. What a, to me, what an outstanding idea being a, uh, a young uh, kid you know, graduated from school, you're sort of giving them a running start. You're, you're giving, you're getting their feet wet, if you will, meeting some of the people they'll be networking with. And perhaps, uh, well, the one thing about golf that, that I really like is that you're able to build a relationship with someone and sort of accelerate it. If you're with them for 18 holes, they get to see you when, you know, in your good moments, they get to see you in your other moments and they get to see how you respond to both. I think that's a, uh, that's pretty telling. And, uh, what a great idea 
to give those folks a running start. That's the way we see it exactly, Corey, because we know that in business, when you know golf, you are a member of a certain society. You understand the language. It's not that you are hit the best drives or you're yeah. the best player, but you're a part of that community now. And we realize that these young women, they're coming out of college. They're probably, the majority of them for sure, are not going to be tour players. Yeah. But our whole goal is that they become life champions. And with the Women in Golf Foundation, what we do is we work with the youth. We have a youth program in the summer. We do the collegiate. And then we do business women's golf clinics because we want, again, like you said, we want these women to be able to um, be able to communicate well and be a part of that golf society. And you know people when you, when you play, like you said, you're out there for 18 holes, you get to know a person a lot better than you do having lunch 100%. for a couple hours. Well, I think, it, it, would you agree that if you're a, a female executive and you can play golf, don't you think that gives her an advantage, an additional advantage? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, I, I interviewed a young lady. I'm working on a project right now uh, for the LPGA my, for my master's thesis. And I interviewed a young lady recently, and she told me that growing up in golf, she felt was a great tool for her when she got out into the business world. She felt like it helped her to make decisions better. It helped her to control her own emotions better. It helped her to be able to read people better. She literally said that golf has given her a leg up. Those were her words. I I would agree with all that. I think that you know, one of the things that's useful with that is there's a discipline to it. You have to have a system of preparing for each shot, of warming up, and you have to have a short memory. If you hit a bad shot, you got to forget it and move on. If you hit a good shot, you should forget it and move on. Yes. And um, it's it. Many uh, will hit the bad shot, and it'll it might define the next few shots, and you can't do that. Right. I mean, would you agree with that? I absolutely agree. Um, I remember with my son, he was probably about 14 and (laughs) another great athlete. And we were on the golf course and he had a bad shot and he threw the club. Right. So now here's mom. This is a teaching moment. And I said to him, I said, number one, I bought those clubs. So don't throw them anymore. And I said, number two, if you should throw it again, you're going to go to the car and wait for me to finish playing because I'm enjoying my day. And number three, have you ever hit a good shot after throwing a club? Probably not. So he worked on controlling his emotions, and to his credit, he did par the next hole. So. It is, uh, it is, it, it, it's an interesting point you bring up because uh, there is, uh, I believe, a certain modicum of decorum that's expected on the golf course is mm-hmm. a certain politeness. It's expected that you're going to play by the rules. It's expected that you're not going to forget how many shots you took. And it's expected that you're going to not you know, lose your program if you hit a bad shot. Exactly. And I think for me, if I'm out there with someone and those things happen, you know, that that's defining mm-hmm. because if they're going to do it on the golf course, they're probably going to do it in other places. They're going to do it in business. They're going to do it in life. If they're lying about the score, they're going to lie about other things. Yeah. And that's why it's such a wonderful business tool for people. It is. You're out there for four hours or so with them playing. And would you want to 
go into a business partnership with someone who is so, um, what do I want to say? Sometimes you see their anger, they're out of control, they can't uh, control their emotions, and they, you know, they cheat, all these things. Everybody in golf, you're expected to have those great qualities that we try so hard to show our kids. The game shows them the respect, the courtesy, the perseverance, that type of thing, all those good life skills. Well, and it's such, you're not going to always get your way every day no. in business. You're not always going to win every deal. And I think part of it is, you know, golf has all those things in it and it can happen on a whole. It can happen in an entire round. You could hit a great shot and follow it up with a not so great shot. And you know, like I was saying earlier, you got to have the short memory. And to me, I want somebody, I want to build relationships with people that are even. Mm-hmm. Okay, you might get a little wound up if you miss a deal or if you miss a shot, but you, you got to move on, right. and you can't let it define who you are for more than a couple of seconds. And uh, I think that that's that's one of the reasons that I really like golf, and I enjoy watching the people on the tour, both on the women and the men, because they're very very stoic. They're they get things, you know, they they're all very very good. Yes, and it's fun to watch them when there's. Uh, uh, when there's a lot of pressure and, and it's, I mean, I enjoy watching how these guys respond because even if they hit it in a bad spot, they're so good, they're usually going to come out of it, you know, uh, in, right. a good, in a good state. And one of the things that golf does for people, I think, is it helps them to learn about themselves. Yeah, That was one of the things that I enjoyed and appreciate about the game as I was learning it. And becoming a good at well, a good player, I should say, because I've always been a good athlete. But um, learning how to maintain my patience, learning how to, as you said, um, only let hold on to it for a couple of seconds, and be able to get back into that routine that works well for me to get set for another shot. And I work with my little granddaughter now; she's eleven, and I'm telling you, I'm having a blast. Uh, being an employee of an 11 year old. And, (laughs) uh, you know, I told her out on the golf course, I said, there's two things that I don't want you to give me your glove or your tee, you handle those and I'll handle the rest of your equipment. And then the thing that we've worked on that I've had so much fun with her is helping her to define herself. She's a, a winner and she hates hitting a bad shot and she'll have that face. And the thing that we work on, I'll say to her, who's in charge of how you feel? And her response that we've practiced is she has to tell me I am. And then I'll ask her again. And a I'll, great point. I'll keep asking her who's in charge of how you feel until she smiles. And then she'll start giggling. And what we found and what she's realized about herself is that when she smiles and that giggle, giggle happens, she hits better golf shots. So it's about her learning about herself. Like you said, we're only going to hold on to this bad feeling for a couple of minutes. And then now you take over to get ready to move on with life. Well, and I think that's where routine comes in. And if you have a pre-shot, a defined pre-shot routine, that can help you with any anxiety that comes with hitting a bad shot or any bad feelings that comes with that. Um, and you know, yeah, you, you have to forget it. I mean, you I think it's okay. To. I think it's okay to say to not be happy with yourself, yes. but you gotta you gotta have a short memory and move on and get into your next routine. I like that short memory line. I'm gonna use it. 
But you're not going to give me credit for it, are you? <laughs> <laughs> so you've achieved Class A teaching status with the LPGA in 2003. Yes. What, what's involved with that? And uh, that's a big deal, too. It is, because the journey is um, uh, educational. There's book work involved. We have to, att- people have to attend three national classes that are week long mm. and they have to travel to get to them because they're not every place. So you have to attend level one, level two, level three. But before you even get there, you have to pass a playing test. So you have to go out and play to a certain ability so that the LPGA is confident that you at least know how to negotiate a golf course properly. But then you do all the book work and then you have to test out at different levels. And when I say test out, you have written test Hmm. and then uh, you have teaching test. So you have to actually take a student in front of an evaluator Mm. and they are going to grade you on, you know, whether or not you can change ball flight, how your communication skills are, things like that. Mm. And I have become a member of the team that does that testing process. Another thing that I think I'm impressed with, I'm very impressed with you is you're, you're a hall of famer. And, uh, that obviously is a, a, is a, is an achievement that's well-earned. Tell us, Tell the listenership about that and how all that came about. Well, the Af- African-American Golfers Hall of Fame, there are obviously a lot of people in it before I got there. Renee Powell and uh, LaJean Gould is in there. A lot of people that you've heard about, maybe that you haven't heard about, mm-hmm. people like Calvin Pete. And, oh, Cal uh, Pete. I know Cal. Yeah, yeah. Other. Uh, the only time he was ever out of the fairways was to take a phone call. <laughs> I know you're going to use that too, and I want credit for that. <laughs> okay, I'll give you credit for that. Love, I love me some Cal Pete. He was yeah. he was money. He was never ever out of the fairway. Right, ever. Right, right. He, I want to say, in his prime when he was playing tournaments and on tour uh, all the time, he kept holding the title of the most accurate driver of the golf ball. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, a great player for sure. Uh, but the uh, the Hall of Fame, is, I'm in it because of being the third African-American female to uh, achieve that Class A status. And I remember when I walked in for my first national class, and I was nervous. Of course you uh, it would took, be. It, yeah, it took me some time to actually decide that I wanted to become a golf professional. <clears throat> but just the sharing and seeing what it did for uh, society, for women and youth, made me go ahead and make the decision. But I walked in and I was greeted by, at that time, our LPGA teaching president, Dr. Betsy Clark. I'll Hmm. never forget it. And she looked at me and she smiled. It was such a wonderful smile and took my hand and she said, I am so glad you're here. And she said, we need you. And our community needs you. Hmm. And I need you to be a model for African-American women and African-American youth. And when she said that to me, it almost brought tears to my eyes because, first of all, she I knew her, but I didn't know her. It was my first time meeting her face-to-face. And for her to give me that kind of warm welcome, yeah. it was so inspiring to me. I'm like, man, I got to do this, and I got to do it good. you know. I've well, you obviously it. have. I mean, you've certainly been a model and a mentor to— uh, the African American community and, and to all women in general, really. And I women mean, in I, general, I, yes. I, I would, I think the picture is bigger than just the African American community. I For agree. me, it is. I uh, agree. And I think that you've really done a, you've really 
done well with this. And uh, what made you decide you wanted to be a teaching professional? Well, like I said, I, I enjoyed what I saw that it did in my own family. For instance, my son, I can remember when he was, you know, 14, 15 years old, he would get up in the morning and get on his bicycle with his golf clubs on his back and ride over to the golf course so that he could be a spotter in the tournaments on the weekend, and then he would get to play free golf. Mm. And he, at that time, he was playing uh, baseball for the high school. He didn't play golf until his senior year because the two sports conflicted. But he, he always wanted to play golf and keep his golf game going, and he was the kid who wouldn't stay up late because he had to get up early to play golf. And he'd say things to me like, Mom, you know, some of my buddies, they're crazy. They stay up and they go to parties and drink beer, but I got to get up and go play golf. So I saw that it changed some of the decisions that maybe a young kid like him would make. Mm. And then, like I said, with my daughter coming up, I would be that parent working with kids her age. And I saw how well they uh, played together, how they learned those life-defining uh, skills like respect and <clears throat> courtesy and all those things. And I just wanted to be a part of sharing that as much with kids as adults. I think I get more of a charge out of working with kids than adults. I, ha I love adults, obviously, men and women, but I really... Uh, get a charge out of working with the youth. So that was what made me want to do it. Well, you've obviously had a huge impact uh, on those things. And I would agree with you, you know, playing the game, it teaches you a lot. Uh, humility would be right up mm -hmm. there. Um, I think many athletes, people that are athletic with, you know, say football or tennis or some other sport, I think it's a surprise to a lot of them when they start playing golf about how difficult it is. Yes. And just because you're a great athlete with these other things doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate. That's true. And you know, and you've probably seen and heard of a lot of pro athletes that have come over to golf uh, here in Atlanta. I think <clears throat> of Smoltz mm. from the Braves mm -hmm. and Glavin, all those guys are good golfers. And just the work that I've done in some of the celebrity uh, tournaments and things like that. I've seen guys, Marcus Allen, I mean, the list, it just goes on and mm -hmm. on of the um, pro athletes that have come over to golf. Some of them are really good. Yes. And others can hit it a country mile, but you can't find it. But they don't know what zip code it's going to end <laughs> up in. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think that that's, uh, you know, it's certainly uh, great to... Uh, just because you're an, a great athlete in another sport, it doesn't necessarily translate. And I think the equipment is, it's so technical now, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, just, just the thought of looking at a putter. And if you'd have told me in 1983, I might pay $350 for a Scotty Cameron putter, mm -hmm. you know, I would have said, you're nuts. Right. That's like a whole set of golf clubs. And yet it's gotten incredibly technical. Would you agree? Uh, absolutely. We live in an age where everything that we use and do is generated by computers and the golf equipment is no different. So they've drilled it down to the nth degree in they terms really of efficiency. And of course, the USGA governs how fast that ball can come off the club face. It governs the size of everything. And what we're able to do, because we do use computers in the fitting process, we are able to 
match the numbers and make sure that we've got you into the most efficient piece of equipment for you. And, you know, just a quick, quick technical number matching. We look at ball speed, launch angle and spin rate. And if those numbers don't match, then we could actually get you a little bit more efficient by making sure that the math is correct. But I need a computer to do it. So I think, I think for somebody that's looking to get started, uh, I think that having a coach, having a teacher like you would be so advantageous uh, for multiple reasons. Number one, just from the standpoint of not developing bad habits, because mm-hmm. I see a lot of people that, you know, they have bad habits, they don't have a pre-shot routine or the routine varies on every shot and it just doesn't set up well for a good round. And, and someone like you that has all of your experience to be able to, to help somebody right away with no bad habits. But I think maybe even something that's equally important is helping them navigate the equipment because I always wonder how many people are going to this store or that store. Oh, I'm going to buy that. I'm going to buy that. You need to have someone like you, you say, no, this is the equipment for that you need to, that you need to hit given your swing, given your ball speed and all those things you talked about. And that is a, that's a whole labyrinth to navigate through, in my opinion. You're absolutely right. And as a golf <clears throat> professional, because I'm a teacher as well, so there's two departments going on there yeah. that need to actually sync up. Yeah. And what happens is I always say to people, when you're just starting the game, we don't want to spend a lot of money, not right off the bat, because we've got to figure out what your body does. And you may not like the game. Yeah, you may not like it, but we, you know... As you play, we start to learn your strengths, your weaknesses, and your flexibilities, all these things. And then we can get you matched up with equipment yeah. that works with you and not against you. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And, and do you think that how, what if, if there's 100 golfers out there, mm-hmm. what percentage of them do you think just go out and buy stuff off the rack versus saying, hey, I want to call Anita and I want to have her, I want to have her tell me what, I, what clubs I should get? Uh, the number is a lot bigger than it should be. I, you know, I'm just going to throw a number. I'm going to say 80. You think 80% of the people just go buy they stuff? They just go buy stuff. I'll have, I'm doing something now that I call invite her. So I'm inviting ladies to come and play. I'm doing a special clinic ser- series for them to get them started. And I'm amazed at, you know, the equipment that they show up with. Uh, this was my husband's old club or these were my son's and I just brought them with me. And, you know, the husbands that'll just give the wife his old stuff and say, go ahead. And if you like it, I'll buy you some. Well, dude, how's she going to like it when she makes a good motion and clubs working against her and she doesn't get a good result? So the number is yeah, high. Right and I can remember, you know, people would come in and they'd want you know, all of what Tiger's playing with, or they'd want all of what Rory's playing with because that's their hero. And it has nothing to do with what you actually need. So Tiger's got a little more of a, I'm a big fan of Tiger Woods (laughs) and and Rory. Little different swing speed there. Exactly. And, uh, you know, he's a powerful, those two guys are very, very powerful, powerful people. Right. And what they're playing with didn't come off the rack. No, it did not. And so my answer to people like that is if that company is paying you to play with their equipment, then you should play with it. If not, you should play with what works. <laughs> well, and, 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 and they're, you know, in fairness to those two guys, Tiger and Rory, they're, they're 
those clubs are geared to the nth degree to their swing, to their speed, oh. to their all, all of those things. It's all, like all a, of the clubs. It's like a custom tailored suit. Yeah. And yes. you said yourself <clears throat> about the three hundred and fifty dollars <throat> Scotty Cameron. It'll go even higher if you have your name and it have it painted like I do mine. But if you were to go out, let's just say, and buy yourself a three thousand dollar suit, would you buy it off the rack? No. Not no, a chance. No, that tailor is going to have that thing fitting you perfectly. And the other thing I say about the fitting process is if you bought that $3,000 suit and it fits you perfectly, you can go get another one and have it made and altered to fit you perfectly. But it won't fit you better than the first one unless right. your body changed. Right. And golf equipment is really the same way. I'll tell you another thing <clears throat> that's important, you know, when, when somebody's just getting started uh, to have someone, uh, a coach like you, to help keep the bad habits out. But also, you know, we want to put people in the most conservative position in, uh, to have success. Mm -hmm. And you don't do that if you're buying clubs off the rack, if you're right. just buying it because Tiger or Rory or Phil hit the, hits those clubs. I mean, mm -hmm. those, those guys are in a different world mm -hmm. golf-wise. And so I think keeping people happy, keeping them engaged, the, the fitting them with the right equipment so they kind of have a positive experience as much as could be had for somebody that's just getting started is really important, I think. Don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> and, you know, there are people, uh, I talk about one of my best buddies uh, who would go and buy the latest and greatest. He didn't care. He'd just go buy it because he wanted to have that new piece of equipment. And I had a board member of mine come in and she wanted to get fitted for a new driver. So put her on the computer and she could not hit any new driver better than she was hitting her current one. Mm. So I talked with her and we realized that her irons were actually old, worn out and outdated. So we got her into new irons and she went on that very season to win the club championship mm. And have hole in one. So it was the irons that she actually needed to improve her game as opposed to just buying a new driver, which we realized wasn't working better than her old one. So that's why I like uh, working with people and working with that complete golfer as opposed to just selling them something because they say they want to buy the latest and greatest. That's And isn't it interesting? I remember... Uh you know, going to the range and, um, uh, you know, when I got started, I had a coach and he said, I want you to look at what clubs these guys are hitting on the range. Mm -hmm. And what do you think was the number one club that most people were hitting? Driver. And he said, it hasn't changed. And he said, it's a club you're probably going to hit 12 times around. Right. And he said, don't you think it makes more sense to practice on the wedges and the nine irons and the low irons? And, you know, right away, I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy taught me that, okay, that's okay, but the game is, you know, 60 yards and in. And, and that's, that's right. something that I still see when yes. I go to the range. You still see it. And to <clears throat> that point, that's why people are spending more money for the putters, because the driver you're going to hit 12 times, but the putter you're going to hit on every green yeah. probably. Yeah. And then the wedges now have gotten so much better than they used to be. Corey, you used to just walk in and there were just a couple of things yep. on the shelf. Now you can customize the lie angle, the bounce angles. I'm not going to get too technical, but... Thank you. You, <laughs> you used to have one wedge, now you have four. It, it, it's a little bit... When you look at just the driver, 
you know, folks are saying, well, I'm going to hit it, you know, 10 degrees today or eight degrees today, or I'm going to use this shaft. And, and it's gotten unbelievably technical, but mm-hmm. the wedges is something also that is, you know, the lie angle, mm-hmm. the bounce rate, you know, the degrees. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm sure that you're giving counsel to your clients and students based on their swing, based on what you've seen them play mm-hmm. and saying, Hey, you need to have this kind of a setup. That is, that's really important as far as I can, as, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it is. And not only do we look at what the, <clears throat> the player does, but we also take into consideration the conditions that they play in. Mm. And if, you know, for instance, the sand wedge, if you play here in Georgia, the sand here is different than most of the sand you experience in Florida. Mm-hmm. So if I've got a player who's a tournament player, we're actually uh, – drilling down even more because they're traveling. Mm. So they have to be prepared for the different conditions that they're going to get as they go from state to state, uh, even country to country. So speaking of state to state, you have completed recently a quest to play golf in all 50 states. Yes. Why, why did you do that? Well, I was sitting at my desk one day thinking that I had played in a lot of places and travel is always something that I've enjoyed and we've enjoyed as a family. I wrote them down and I got to 25. So I said, hmm, I played in 25, might as well play the other 25. So there you go. Top five golf courses that you played. Wow. That's a good one, Corey. Of course, Pebble Beach. Iconic. Iconic. And the beauty is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Pinehurst, the whole town, not just the courses, but of the courses, the Pinehurst number two. And, and, and Pinehurst is a town, <clears throat> basically, that I think everybody should go to. Um, Cog Hill in Chicago, I truly loved. Eastlake here in Atlanta, oh, sure. I have to say, is my favorite golf course in, in Georgia. Um, Clearview Golf Course in Ohio. And that is the golf course that's owned by Renee Powell that mm. her dad built. Mm. And I love that because of it's so wonderful. The grass is magnificent. And the venue itself is historical mm. because of, you know, the owner and the builder, Mr. Powell. Where do you play here? Do you have a course you play out of here? Yeah, I live in Fayette County, as you know, and I play at Whitewater mostly. Uh, It was home course for my daughter, Bianca, when she played for Fayette County High. And now uh, that little 11-year-old that I work for, that's where we usually go. (laughs) I love how you position that. You work for the (laughs) 11-year-old. I do. (laughs) It's a great job. I love it. Who is your favorite golfer? Does it have famous or non-famous? Anybody. Of all the golfers, who's had the most effect on Anita? I've got to say Tiger. Yeah. And the reason for that is I'll never forget when he won the Masters in 1997 by 12 shots. I mean, that was a whitewash. That Sunday was my birthday. Mm. Not only that, I had just turned professional. And when he won that tournament, there was a definition that was given in terms of African-Americans in golf, Mm -hmm. that there was a level of excellence there that had never been seen. And he gave 
a validation that wasn't there. It probably should have been by some of the people like the Ted Rose and the Bill Spillers of the world who never got to play really at the professional level because of the Caucasian-only clause that mm. used to exist in the in the PGA Charter. But um, when he did that, it, it changed the golf terrain really for everybody. But um, uh, I take my hat off to him. Yes. I absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his uh, golf-wise. I, I think that uh, one of the things I appreciate about him is that uh, – the door may have been cracked a little bit for him, mm-hmm. but he kicked the door down. Yeah, he did. And he didn't just win. He won by a wide margin. Yes. And I love the fact, I love watching him when he has the red shirt and the black slacks on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And these guys can say all day long that they weren't afraid of him, but you and I both know that's not true. Uh-huh. <laughs> they were 100% afraid of him. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they would have beaten him during those time during during the time when he was really at his height. And- he could play his B minus game and it's still better than most of those guys. And so I I really appreciated that about him. And the other thing I think that was interesting was he really put Nike on the map. (laughs) No Uh, doubt. And and Phil Knight gave him that. I remember this because when he, right about the time he won the masters, Phil Knight gave him that $50 million contract and everybody said, you are nuts. Mm -hmm. And Phil Knight got into the game of golf because of Tiger. Mm Mm-hmm. Tiger made golf cool mm-hmm. for everybody. That's true. Certainly he, I think he gave, uh, he sent a message to uh, the African-American black community about golf. And, but I think he made it cool. He did. He was the first, I mean, I love Jack Nicholas. Yes. He, but Tiger made golf cool. Yes, he did. He made it look like fun. He had that great smile, the fist pump. And uh, youth looked at him. When I was managing those stores in the airport, I saw a whole different demographic coming into the golf store just to see what was going on after that day in 1997. Well, and I think I think the other thing that I really liked about Tiger is Tiger was the first one, I think, in my in my opinion, that that he was an athlete. Yes. When you look at how he worked out, when you look at how he built himself up, I mean, I mean, he was built like a, you know, like an NFL safety mm-hmm. with all the weight work it did. And people, I think, uh, probably recoil and horror at all that. But I mean, he could, you know, he could punish the golf ball. And I think he made, he, he is an athlete that chose to be a golfer. And yes. I think he did a lot. He was trans transformative is a word that I would use to describe him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, He's compelling. I mean, when he's in contention, golf's relevant. Yes. When he's not in contention at the end, it, it's less than, it's not as relevant. Right. And even now, you know, when he's trying to come back, I think that, uh, uh, you know, he's a compelling figure, you know, like him or not. Uh, but to me, I'm a big fan and I think he's done a lot for it. And he really worked at the getting in shape being an athlete. And I mean, a lot of people don't think that you're an athlete if you play golf. And I think Tiger really helped dispel that. Yes. Yes. He certainly did. And the guy that actually was there before him doing that was Gary Player. 
Yes. Gary Player from South Africa, and he played well into his 70s on the senior tour. And mm-hmm. I think he was the only guy who's played at the professional level for five decades. And Tiger, hopefully, uh, what he's had done with his back will allow him to do something similar. Well, and I think, you know, the other thing that I respect about Tiger is that, you know, he won the U.S. Open on, on one leg. Yes. And anybody that says, I, I think he's got enormous courage an enormous, I, I, I love his focus. And I love the fact that he said, all right, Rocco Mediate, I'm going <laughs> to handle you and I'm going to beat you on one leg. And then he did it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and did you, did you ever think that that would be, I thought that we were just kind of getting started. That was his 14th major. And then, you know, then the stuff happened and, and I really thought that he would be way beyond Jack's record of majors after winning that U.S. Open against Rocco Mediate. Right. And uh, to answer your question, the best way I can answer it, that day in 1997, when he won by 12 shots at Augusta, I I said a little prayer. I said, I hope he stays healthy, because if he stays healthy, he's going to break whatever records are there. And then, you know, the health issues, the the leg, the back, all that stuff that happened with him. And, you know, with the leg issue, that brings up another subject that I wanted to touch on, which is the adaptive golf that I've been doing. Um, I've been teaching people golf that um, maybe don't have either leg that Mm. works. And one of the things that's awesome about that, and, you know, Tiger won the U.S. Open on one leg, but to have a guy sit in what we call an adaptive golf yeah. chair and sit up and swing and hit a golf ball, a 16-year-old, and tell me how great that felt because he hadn't hit a golf mm. ball since his car accident yeah. that he was in, and he could now be on the golf course and play again just makes me feel like uh, what I'm doing is worthwhile. Well, it certainly is, and 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 that's uh, they're uh, incredible people, and and it's great that you're you've expanded your brand to help those folks too. Mm-hmm. What gives you the most satisfaction with what you do? I mean, you've you, you're we haven't really touched on how I met you. As I saw you as a motivational speaker, I knew that you I knew about your golf acumen, but you do all these things, mm-hmm. and what of these thing all these things that you do gives you the most satisfaction. I think what keeps me going the most is when someone walks up to me and sometimes I don't remember their face because it's been a while. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this a long time Mm -hmm. and I've seen a lot. I remember swings better than I do faces sometimes. But, you know, I have a youngster walk up and say, Miss Onita, thank you. I my golf has caused me to be able to get this job. And I'm doing so well with it. My boss is letting me do this and do that. I've had the women come up to me and say, thank you. Golf has opened up something else for me to do socially. And I'm able to get up and get out and meet new people. To have that kid say that he could hit a golf ball and be on a golf course again, um, to see kids giggling and laughing going down the fairway. Um, a young man that come, walks in with his pants sagging and his hat on backwards to our clinic, and then he walks out two weeks later with his hat turned around and his shirt tucked in. And he's saying thank you, and he's being polite. That's satisfaction for me. Well, you've had a lot of honors 
and uh, probably we don't have enough time to go into. We've touched on some of them being a Hall of Famer, you know, being, but you were also recognized as one of the best instructors. Mm-hmm. What? How did all that come about? I mean, first of all, I'm not surprised, but how did all that come about? Really, you know, just from the years and years of working and the people that have come through, especially with the foundation that I work for, we're proud to say that all of the youth that have come through our program and stayed with us have gotten college scholarships. Um, We work really, really hard, and we call our program Golf and Life Skills. The kids do golf in the morning, and they do life skills in the afternoon, and with life skills, it's everything from table etiquette. Mm. Uh, teenagers are filling out uh, college applications. We help them with that. We talk to them about social media and being responsible with that. We do nutrition and fitness. And so just all the years that I've worked with that type of thing. And now I actually teach women how to teach as a global in, uh, instructor. I've been to Korea. I teach classes over there to Korean and Japanese and Vietnamese women, uh, helping them to get their Class A certification. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot that has gone into my teaching of people. And as I teach one person, they affect how many people who affect so many other people. So it's like um, you just keep it giving and building, um, and the territory expands. Yeah, we're, they're very. Everybody's very fortunate to have you uh, in this role. You were awarded the President's Lifetime Achievement Award from President Obama. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that and what, what what was involved with that. Yeah, um, I was recognized by um, uh, a group here in Atlanta, um, Business Golf for Business Women. Anyway, I was contacted. Uh, by this lady. She knows me. I've worked with her, Katrina King, and I've worked with her, and they had to fill out this application, and I have 4,000, over 4,000 years of volunteer time uh, noted that caused me to be qualified for that award, and uh, some of the things that I have done over the years, obviously the first tee, hook a kid on golf, programs here in the city of Atlanta, just volunteer time where I'm out here doing what I do because I'm sharing and want to see a change in our community and help our mainly youth. Mm. I don't so much volunteer for adults, but mainly with youth and with the, now I work with the uh, hero program, which is helping our patriots everywhere. Hope, hope program, helping our patriots everywhere. So I've done a lot of uh, other volunteer work and that's what caused me to uh, be able to be awarded by President Obama. Well, that's a, a tremendous achievement without question. To me, I see that you have these roles. You're a motivational speaker, a golf consultant, a golf coach. Is there one that resonates with you more than another? One role that you prefer, one role that uh, you like doing more than another? I mean, I know you like them all, but is there an order? Uh, Well, I think I told you my favorite job is working for that 11-year-old. And then I I love working with the junior clinics next. And then I love teaching in the global education program uh, because those women 
each woman is going to go out and affect her community. And anytime I get those phone calls from those ladies and they maybe need some help or maybe just need an encouraging word or two, I'm happy to take those calls mm. and help in any way that I can because I know that they're going to be able to make a difference. And I think that's why I'm here. How are you securing your clients? That's, that's a great question. I have worked at the social media part a bit because I know that the millennials and that's the way people uh, obtain information today. So I have a website, onitagolf.com, and I do uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, because that's just the way things are done in our society. But other than that, it's word of mouth. Is one social media uh, option more productive for you in, in terms of getting clients than another? Is one more effective for you? I haven't actually tracked that. Yeah. So it would be hard for me to give an effective answer. I would say that Facebook is the bigger one, maybe because it's been around longer. And, um, but like I said, it's, it's really actually more word of mouth. Mm. Yeah. Doesn't mm -hmm. surprise me. Who do you think is your ideal client? I love people. And I never would have picked up on that. <laughs> <laughs> My ideal client is someone who walks away enjoying the game. And that puts it back on me because I think I'm responsible for their enjoyment. So as much as I'm there working on the fundamentals and everything, I work very, very hard to listen to the client yeah. and give them what they want. Yeah, I get that loud and clear from knowing you, that you are an excellent listener, which if you're going to be a teacher, you have to be that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I could tell you there's a handful of people that I think of in my early days as a teacher that I wish I could get back because I just didn't know enough to give them what they really needed at that moment in time. So I work really, really hard to make sure that I do that today. There's an old saying I just made up, Onita. Okay. Hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to steal that one from you. And not give me credit for that no. either. Okay. What do you think is the biggest challenge in your business? I hear a lot of things from the younger people coming along. The biggest challenge is the pay isn't always good. Hmm. Remember, I got an award for volunteer hours. Yeah. But I do it because I love it. Yeah. And I say to young people, if you're coming into this business thinking you're going to get rich, do something else. Do it because you love doing it. And that's not just this business, that's but any business. Any business. Yeah. And if you are good at what you do, you'll enjoy life because money isn't what gets enjoyment. And I think that's the biggest challenge for some young people who love the game, maybe love playing the game, want to get involved in the game, but they can't afford to do it because as an apprentice yeah. or someone who's just starting out, there's just not a lot of money there. So you have to love being a part of it and sharing. How has your business evolved over the years? A step by step. And like I said, as a director of golf for the Women in Golf Foundation, that's kind of defined, um, 
I'll say, my foundation for each and every year. It's what I love doing and I focus on the most. And then the other thing that I've done that's helped me actually to play in my 50 states is I do the PGA Women's Golf Clinic. So I go around the country teaching women golf Mm -hmm. and playing in different states. And uh, next week I'll go to Charlotte and the week after that I'm going to D.C., You know, and I teach in these clinics and then I'll go to Texas and I'll get to hang out with some buddies there. And so I I loved the different uh, facets of what I do. It allows me to grow my network. Uh, My territory is big and I enjoy every moment of it, to be honest with you. Your territory may be big. I think your reach is even bigger. And uh, so when you go play a whitewater What's an average score that you might shoot on 18 holes? Oh, my goodness. You know, it's a misconception to think that a golf professional like myself goes out and plays. When I go out at Whitewater these days, it's as an employee of the 11-year-old. So I'll hit a shot or two, Hmm. mostly to demonstrate But to to answer your question about me, if I today, because I never practice anymore for myself Mm -hmm. because I'm at Mm. work on the tee with that person. But, um, you know, I'll shoot in the 80s. And if I get the opportunity to practice a little bit, uh, I can get it in the 70s. And anytime I get it in the 70s, there's a big smile on my face. You know, I call myself a hack and pearl. So... Yeah, but, you know, I said to a gentleman at a party not too long ago because he asked a similar question, and I said to him, when I go on the golf course these days, it's not about me. Yeah. It's typically about someone else. Yeah. Yeah. You've been asked and invited on the show because another former guest has uh, highly recommended you. And with all of your success that you've had, what, what do you think sets you apart if you had to pick a couple of items? I would say the fact that I love people and I love new things. I'm not afraid of a challenge. I think that's big in my case. Some of the things that I've done as a golf professional, I've done because I was in a room or on an email that asked, is there anybody who wants to? And it looks challenging and I look at it and I think for a moment and I say, I'll do it. Not always sure that I'm going to be successful, but I'll do it because it needs to be done, and I think I'll be successful. I'm going to work hard to try to do a good job and set a good example. And mainly like in the LPGA, for me, being one of the first to come through at the level that I'm at, I've always wanted to set a good example for the young ladies that come along behind me. Well, you're certainly a shining example uh, for anyone. If you could give the younger version of Anita some advice, what would it be? Gosh, I love myself. Um, I think that I might be more patient with myself more than anything And to stay focused, because I've been that person that says yes, you know, I've had 
I had one of my buddies say, you need to learn how to say no. But, uh, and, and then when you change your mind and say yes, people will be happy. But I've been that person that has said yes, and then that has caused my plate to be so full that I don't have enough time all the time for myself. Uh, and I think I would give myself the advice to put myself on my schedule a little bit more. If there was a young lady that wanted to follow in your footsteps, what advice would you have for her? Always do your best and never be late. My mom said if you're on time, you're late. So never be late and always do your best and save some smiles for the family. Well, you've had a great run, great success, and it's been a pleasure having you on today's show, Anita. If the listenership wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Well, there's a, a lot of ways, but, I, you know, I tell people, uh, just Google my name, Onida, O-N-E-D-A, and something will come up. I have a website, and uh, onidagolf.com. It'll come up. Uh, African-American woman golfer. If you Google that, I'll come up. Is there an email address or anything that uh, you would have the folks contact you at? Yes. Uh, R-O-N-E-D-A 2030 at yahoo.com. Anita, you've been a great guest and uh, congratulations on all of your success. Thank, Thank you for you. being on the show and continued success. Thank you, Corey, and continued success to you. Thanks for having me. 